Hello and welcome to the Welsh Rugby Podcast from Wales Online. My name is Matt Southcombe and today I'm joined by our writers Andy Hall and Simon Thomas. Um, chaps, it's been another busy week in Welsh rugby, uh, as it always seems to be. Let's jump straight in and, and I'll come to you first on the Andrew Coombe story that you wrote yesterday um, that went online. Just talk to us a bit about that, um, what you know and give a bit of background to the, the case. Andrew Cummins was forced to retire uh, from playing because of a knee injury. Suffered the injury when the Newport Gwent Dragons beat Cardiff Blues in April 2015 in the European Challenge Cup. He's had eight operations uh, since for a displaced kneecap. Still got major problems with it. Can't bend his knee, can't play football with his seven-year-old son, can't get down on the floor to play with his 14-month-old daughter. He was insured, obviously, the Dragons had an insurance policy, but... They would. They've decided to uh, scrap it as a group thing. However, they took Cums off the policy a couple of months before they were doing that. Now Cums's uh, argument is that he claims the which and they've denied it. The dragons. He told the dragons that he would have. Uh, he was prepared to take up his part of the policy as an individual, keep paying it, so that he would get the payouts from the insurers. Dragons deny that they ever had that conversation with Coombs. So what's happened is the uh, his policy has ended, if you like, and he's lost those insurance payments. So he, he, he now faces having to foot thousands of pounds in medical bills uh, uh, while his knee, while attempts are made to uh, sort his knee out. Um, it's a pretty, it's a pretty complex case, isn't it? It's not. It raises some serious questions as well, doesn't it? Well, of course it does, because you see, it's not just Andrew Combs, is it? We've had other instances. Reese Thomas, the ex Dragons and Scarlets prop, Reese had a heart attack during training on an exercise bike while he was at the uh, while he's with the Scarlets. Of course, that brought an end to his career. He's waiting for a heart, still waiting for a heart transplant. But Reese, um, the insurer, uh, refused to pay out. Reese appealed against that uh, decision. And, but lost the uh, case, so that as well shows the difficulty of getting payments from insurers. And you've got loads of other players who are still struggling with their injuries because it's such a physical game. People are, and, and it's going to get worse because it, uh, because of that. People are going to be needing knee replacements, hips replacements, etc., etc. Um, it's it, it's you know it's. Can you expect though? Teams to look after players when they finished playing. How far, how far do you, you know, how far do you go? What I would say is, any professional rugby player, they might be insured by their region or club or whatever, but they should also take out their own personal insurance policy so they've got their own and uh, backup because it's such a, a, a precarious and uh, dangerous profession. One of the thing I was interested in your piece, Andy, is a reference to the Dragons switching to a self-insure policy. So is that different from the other regions? Are they going out on their own by doing that, do you know? I, I'm not sure what the other regions are doing, but the Dragons, Stuart Davis, their chief executive, told me they've costed it all out and they because the pr- uh, premiums are so high to cover the rugby players and they've worked out all the injuries, uh, um, the costs, and he claims they will save a lot of money by... Um, paying for, 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 for treatment then for, for operations or whatever not on a national health I suppose yeah. it would interest me just what Ian Goff said you know the ex-Dragons player he said I think he called it the tip of the iceberg and you can see what he means because the game is so physical now there are so many players going to be left with injuries after their careers and this isn't going to go away is it no not at all not at all um, and like I said I think each player's you know if they've got any uh, sense really should take out their own personal uh, uh, personal uh, policies 
as backup because in rugby, you know, there's some derbies this weekend. Mm. What's going to happen in those derbies? Um, it's a difficult one, though, isn't it? Because insurers do their best to try not to pay out. <laughs> <laughs> On that note. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, whoever, whoever's to blame you, I know we've had claims and denials, etc., etc., and we've had former players, like you mentioned, coming out on Twitter. Whatever the situation may be, it doesn't look good on rugby or the clubs involved, does it? No, it doesn't. You wonder whether we should be moving towards some kind of joint sort of insurance system for the whole of Welsh rugby or for the whole of the professional game, whether it's something the WRU should get involved in. Um, because it, it, it wouldn't seem to make a lot of sense for one region to maybe operate a different system to the other. And I think, hopefully, it's not going to really help Andrew Coombs in the short term, but you would hope that this being made such an issue of would get people to look at it all again, look at the Welsh Rugby Union to look at it again, say, right, what is the best insurance system to be put in place that's going to safeguard the current players and the players of the future? Because clearly you don't want to be dealing with cases like this on a regular basis. Yeah, I would assume, you know, with Wales, with WIU got their own insurance system, and for the Wales players when they're on Wales duty... Unless, of course, they do the, the same as the Dragons, uh, you know, pay for uh, medical care. Uh, but it would seem to me the players, mm. there is a union in Wales, Welsh Players uh, Union. They need to get a lot stronger. Mm. And sh- shouldn't they come up with a group policy, the union? Now, perhaps the Welsh Rugby uh, uh, Players Union, they need a strong and forceful personality at the uh, head of it because I'm speaking to Coombs. They haven't done anything much for him at all or Rhys Thomas. Um, it was actually someone like uh, I thinking of ex-players if Ryan Jones wasn't enrolled with the WIU he'd be ideal for the sort of role as a figurehead and uh, someone driving a union another guy maybe could do a, um, a, a good job of being Ian, Ian Goff mm. who has spoken out about this as a tip of the iceberg I think the Welsh Welsh rugby players need to get together and make their union into a much stronger force and uh, to 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 to, you know, to, uh, to help themselves and maybe come up with things that will actually save them money. I remember that. this coming to head before. And you have Gareth Cooper. Do you remember that? I think it was the 2005 um, season. He had an injury, and the players became involved, and they were concerned about that. So maybe you could see the same kind of thing happening now. I'm saying, hang on a second, there. But for the grace of God, go I. Let's make sure we're all secure and safe for the future. Yeah, because the Gareth Cooper was injured on uh, had been injured, and there was a um, uh, there was a. Um, Disagreement over his insurance cover, and as a consequence, the Wales uh, players threatened to go on strike. Exactly. All right, and chaps, that was a good debate. Um, moving on then, talking of player welfare, we'll come to George North next. Um, he's not playing this weekend. No. We've had um, we've had the the findings from the review group who looked at this case to make sure that all the procedures were followed. There's no sanction for the club, um, side, but I'm confused here because they've said they shouldn't have returned to the field. So yeah, the the, the, the independent review panel, which has said it was taken a fair while to come up with hearings. They made a big point. They wanted to be you know a robust and vigorous um, process, and they're given a, a wide ranging, long report. Nuts and bolts of it, though, is that they have concluded that North shouldn't have returned to the field, that there was sufficient video evidence and also sufficient knowledge of his past medical situations where he's had a series of concussions for the decision to be taken he shouldn't return to the field. So whatever way you look at it, a mistake was made, right? 
and yet no sanctions to be taken against either the club or the medical team in Northampton. Now, I don't particularly want to see anybody hung out to dry, right? But if you look at this and look at the rationale why nobody is being sanctioned, it is because they have said, and I'll read the wording out because it's important, it was because the medical team and the club had not intentionally ignored the players' best interests. Now, I'm sure they didn't, but the whole point about it, if you look at the disciplinary system that is in place for players, a lack of intent is not seen as an excuse. It's not a mitigating factor. You will be judged and punished on the actions and the consequence of your actions. Yet that's not happening with the, the Northampton medical team or Northampton as a club so it does seem to be one rule for one and one rule for another and that does seem somewhat hypocritical to me. Do you think this decision has brought the disciplinary system into disrepute? I think it was already in disrepute. Okay. This we'll, is a massive. We'll come on to that in a bit. Yeah, Matt. This is uh, you know the North and uh, North and Cums case cases. They're not dissimilar, really. They're both about player uh, play welfare, mm. duty of care, and um, you, you know the health of uh, uh, players. Uh, North, uh, as far as I'm concerned, you know, is this report is a, is a load of rubbish. <laughs> it's a whitewash that uh, Northampton should have been uh, punished. Because as Simon says, players are punished for accidental collisions and uh, and um, accidental co- collisions which they don't in- intend. So if there's, you can't have one law for the players and a different law for uh, uh, club bosses, can you? Well, no, and I think that on the player disciplinary system, there is not enough empathy and understanding given to accidents happen in rugby collision is a collision sport and you are going to get accidental collisions where there's no intent to harm right so i i can certainly see that for the northampton decision it was relevant to take into account that they didn't set out to cause the player any problem didn't set out to not take care of him they, they, their interest the medical people they will be look, wanting to look after him so intent was rightly acknowledged there, but why isn't intent acknowledged when it comes to player disciplinary procedures? I don't know. I feel like you, I feel like you need an answer from me. <laughs> you, know, you know, let's t- move that on just slightly to a disciplinary case this week. George Hill, Cardiff Blues lock. Eight weeks. Eight-week ban. for. Okay, he put his hand over the top of the uh, ruck. He was uh, swimming Stretcher. for the ball, trying to disrupt the opposition. He did catch a uh, pass player. Was it Tom Ellis in the, uh, Tom Ellis, in, yes. in, in, in the face? But it wasn't that bad an incident. And yet you look at the Owen Franks incident, New Zealand against Australia, in the Rugby Championship, and Sansa didn't even cite him. And anybody can have a look at that video. It's on our website. Yeah. And to be honest, it's an absolute disgrace. The thing Maybe is, it did sack Franks not get cited because he's a New Zealander or what? What was going on? The thing is, if you look at the, the George Earl case, right, um, by the letter of the law, now you might not like the letter of the law, and as I've touched upon, I don't particularly like the lack of empathy for, for accidental events, but by the letter of the current directives, he did have a case to answer, and the punishment he's got eight weeks is about the same as other people have been punished. If, if you look through the figures, Chris Ashton got ten weeks, um, Thomas Francis got eight weeks. I thought they were very similar incidents, the Francis and the... Yes, and, and, and Claremont de Verne, Prodbert in Falgu has just been done for seven weeks over the weekend. Um, so, you know, in the scheme of things, what he's got is quite similar to other offences. But the trouble is, you've then got similar offences, and I think in the case of Franks, a worse-looking offence, where there was no sighting. There was also a case of David Wilson, the, the Newcastle prop, in April of this year. He put his hands across the face of George Cruz doing you know, an eventful encounter with Saracens. Was sighted, went before a disciplinary panel, no punishment. 
Mm. Now, you've got to start getting some consistency. All players and coaches ask for from officials is consistency. George Earl would be sitting there this morning and thinking, A, there was no intent on my part. I certainly didn't look to hurt the player. I was looking for the ball. You'll be feeling hard done by. You'll be even more hard done by when he looks on our website and sees the Owen Franks incident because to me that looked worse and Franks got away scot free. Uh, uh, so you can't have it like that. Well, Franks, had, Franks had two goals at the face as well, didn't he? Well, it didn't look. You, well, you can people. Well, the readers yeah. can make their own judgments. All right then. Um, another incident that we need to talk about. Uh, it's a chap called Owen Williams. Uh, we've written a few stories about him in the last sort of eighteen months. Uh, won the game for Leicester against Munster. With a last-minute kick from around 50 metres, I believe, 52 metres, something like that. Yeah. Um, should we be talking about him with Wales? I know we have done in the past, but... What he's a fine player, Andy, isn't he? Yeah, he's a good player, and he can play at 10 or 12. So um, why you has know, he been involved, then? Beats me, uh, Matt. Not sure, really. <laughs> he's a classic reason. I, 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 I guess why Wales need an A-team and to play some fixtures, so you can have a look at uh, him in that sort of environment. You know, but I mean said that he's been a regular for Leicester for a few seasons and uh, you know Richard uh, Cockrell their coach he thinks he's a great player uh, if, he, if he's doing it with Leicester on a consistent basis surely he's got to be worth a look at uh, uh, by Wales especially as Wales now want to try and play this wider game for the ball for the hands and he's a decent you know he's a good passer uh, maybe he's the type of player they, they, they need in the, in the team Just to clarify Norman Williams he's not captured by Gatlin's law people may think perhaps that's going against him he re-signed with Northampton before the law came active so he's not doesn't have to be a wild card I think Andy touches on a very pertinent point here if Wales are looking to play a more expensive game a ball handling game then what you need probably above all is another playmaking option in the midfield. You've got Scott Williams who can do that job well, but if you're looking at another person who could come in into that 10-12 channel and do a really good creative role there, it's him. And he, he's not backward in coming forward either. He's not a flaky he's player. He, he's, he's, he's you know, a gunless boy, I think, isn't he? And he's, he is. he's done, he done backward out of a, of a situation. Got a great boot on him. Um, and with Anscombe now injured, I think he's got probably another three or four weeks, weeks. He's, he's going to be takes time to come back if you're looking at the outside half inside centre full back options for the Six Nations you've obviously got Sam Davis and you've got uh, Dan Bigger if you're looking for somebody else to provide a midfield cover uh, especially given that we're not hugely blessed with centres options in Wales at the moment I think there's a real case for Owen Williams coming on board yeah, yeah I think Wales have missed a trick they should have had him involved in the autumn and they should have played him against Japan at inside centre we're quite lucky that he's actually uh, captured by Wales yeah, because yeah. He, he played for the under 20s otherwise yeah. I think this would be his third year in England I, yeah. I would imagine one of the English coaches might be looking at it. you know he, he's seen off a few fly offs at uh, uh, Leicester hasn't he he saw off uh, Toby Flood he's Ryan saw Lamb. off uh, Ryan Lamb and he's uh, more or less so uh, um, seen off, sorry, um, Freddie Burns. Yeah, um, even though he's not captured by the law, and is he still being punished? Do you think for playing outside Wales? As in, the coaches are simply just not considering. George him? North isn't, is he? George North is not, is he? That's Luke, 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 Ch- Luke Charteris isn't. I, I, I think it's a case that the Wales don't seem to rate Owen Williams very highly. And mm. you, c- you can't even say that oh he's suffering because he wasn't already an established player. Let me give you the case of Thomas Francis. Played yeah. in England. Never played in Wales. Owen played in Wales, remember, for the Scarlets. Yeah. Owen Francis, on that ground, has got less kids, but I suppose they maybe felt the tighter of something they strengthening. It is an odd one. I mean, I, to be honest, 
I can't particularly recall Gatland or Howley talking about Owen Williams. Can you? Andy? Yeah, a couple of years ago. What did they years say? Ago, Howley, are we monitoring his progress? <laughs> yeah. And that, you know, standard spin. Um, <laughs> but of course, and of course, the other issue, the other issue with Owen Williams, Owen Williams didn't turn his back on Wales and go for the money. He was at Scarlets and wasn't getting much of a look in. Then he played in an Anglo-Welsh match, I think, against Leicester. That's where Leicester saw him. Thought, hey, oh, he's a heck of a good player there. Prospect, we can do something with him. So they made him an offer. So he wasn't going anywhere, it seemed, with the Scarlets. So he signed for Leicester, immediately signed for Leicester. Scarlets then took an interest, started uh, started playing him. Rhys Pearson as well, I think, got injured. And they want, tried to keep him then, but it was too late. If you remember, I mean, he played in that Pro 12 semi-final against Elston in Belfast, at, uh, outside half. If you remember, at the time, I think he was behind Priestland and Steve Shingler at the Scarlets. And when he signed for Leicester, people were saying, oh, why on earth is he going there? He's going to be behind Ryan Lamb, behind Boo, uh, Flood. He's not going to get any opportunities. Well, fair play to the kid. He's gone there and he's and he, grabbed the opportunity. Yeah, yeah, he's qu- demanded first-team play. Yeah, he quickly forced his way in there. And interestingly enough, there's another uh, Welshman alongside him at the weekend, Jack Roberts. Yeah. Um, another one who, who um, he was at, uh, a contemporary of George North from North Wales, went to Landovery College with him as well, played for a, number, a couple of seasons for Landovery, was never really picked up by any of the Welsh regions, got the opportunity with Leicester, he just started at the weekend as they beat Munster. So that's another one that, that's, I wouldn't say slipped through the net, but another one that's going to have to be sort of trying scooped up back in the net, maybe. Yeah. All right. Brilliant. Moving on. Uh, sticking with Wales, the coaching staff for the summer tour has been announced this week. We've got Danny Wilson, Matt Charrett, and Stephen Jones all going. No Ospreys coaches going, which is a surprise yeah. to me. Well, my understanding is that Steve uh, Tandy was offered a role, in, uh, but uh, turned it down. Um, because the work he's, got, he's doing with the Ospreys and uh, and he's got a young family as well, I think. Uh, so my understanding is he didn't want to go. I don't know why they didn't uh, approach uh, Griff Rees for a role otherwise. You know, he's been working with Tandy for uh, a long time. He's a capable uh, operator. Uh, you know, th- you think as Wales' uh, flagship uh, region, he would, should have some uh, represent, uh, representation. Yeah, and so I know... <coughs> Kingsley Jones not involved either there's talk that he turned it down as well I suppose it also uh, the, uh, let me just come in now. <laughs> <laughs> I can categorically tell you now nobody from the Dragons was offered an opportunity I would imagine with Kingsley they might be looking at him thinking, well he's already has international experience with Russia so perhaps at the World Cup at the World Cup so mm. maybe they're thinking others need to step in if you look at it Danny Wilson was with the Wales in the 20 so he's got that age group experience Matt Sherrod was with Wales in the autumn so he's continuing his involvement uh, as a first taste of international coaching for Stephen Jones who you know is, is developing nicely and Scarlett's are playing some some good at attacking offloading rugby with him as their attack coach so it's an interesting one. It, is, it is interesting that you've ended up with two yeah, two backs two backs coaches but I mean I suspect nothing's been obviously nothing has been announced yet about the other coaches for the British and Irish Lions but one might suspect that Neil Jenkins could be in the frame for um uh, kicking coach role um, out in New Zealand and if that would be the case then you, you could see someone um, maybe Matt Sharrett and, and Stephen Jones taking on um, some of um, the kicking duties which are you know a, a great emphasis is placed out in the Wales coaching so maybe they're going to split it that way and then obviously Danny Wilson would work with um, Robin McBride on the forwards Yeah I mean yeah, Jenkins has got a job with the Lions as simple as that you know we knew about two a year ago the Gatlin had a Lions job and uh, same with Neil Jenkins just case when he uh, Announce it, I, uh, I, I think. 
Um, and Sean Edwards will be out yeah, there as well. I think Wales. And, might, and with Wales, not that. Yeah, is. I think Wales is um, uh, Wales. Well, they had Sherrod in the autumn, but yet he's not working from uh, doing the Six Nations because they're bringing Alex uh, King. King in. Mm. Uh, King's not going on his trip. I th- actually think during last autumn, Wales they missed another trick because they should have brought uh, they should have had uh, Jason Strange, Wales under twenty coach. They play some great rugby. Uh, and he's got more coaching experience than uh, Sherritt, won a league title as well with Eberville as a coach. They should have uh, used him uh, with, uh, working with the backs last autumn, but of course he's not available for the Six Nations or in the summer because it clashes with the under-20 uh, Six Nations, and then in the summer it clashes with the uh, under-20 World, uh, World, World Cup. In all seriousness, you do have an issue here because in the space of perhaps 13 months, Wales are going to have four different attack coaches. Rob Howley left in New Zealand last summer. You had Matt Sherratt for the Autumn Internationals, Alex King for the Six Nations, and then probably Stephen Jones for the summer. So you, you, you do question the continuity a little bit. Do you think that's the reason why the Wales attack is so blunt? Because there's all this uh, lack of continuity? Well, I think the longer a coach has with a group of players, the better that group of players generally plays. How much of a chance do you think Sherratt had to do something in the Autumn with the players? <clears throat> how much do you think he was allowed to do? You know, is Howley going to let him come in and change the game plan? Well, I just think you hit the nail on the head there, Matt. I think Rob Howley was still doing the backs, and so he, he, he was Howley's assistant, if you like. Yeah. So uh, I don't think he was. Uh, I don't think he had much no. much time I to make that big, a, big an impact. I, I speak to you know a few Cardiff Blues players chatting off the record, and they, in fairness, they speak very highly of Sherrod. They think he's a very switched-on technical coach. Tactically astute and very good at working one on one with with core skills, um, and I think possibly you could say that by the final game against South Africa there were m- maybe a few signs of things he was trying to do coming into play. But then of course he's not there for the six yeah, nations. But, but, but as Matt said, was it him trying to do that or was it only? Well, we weren't there, were we? No, <laughs> no that's what I mean. <laughs> we'll that's what I mean. We'll yeah, know. why I said you know Jason Strange just his ability plus the other big issue for me is Jason Strange is also Welsh. And Sherrod has been basically, he's been in Wales five minutes, hasn't he? That's and an, he's English. That, that's an issue for you, isn't Does it? Does that really matter? Well, it, yeah, it is, because it, he's got the job. He got the job on the fact that the Blues starting the season quite well and winning four matches. What's happened to them since? They've fallen away. Well, that's another yeah. issue we should yeah. come on to, I think. Yeah, we'll, um, we'll move on to the yeah. regions. Yeah, then. hold on, don't move on to the regions, because you're missing something really important here. Oh, the Wales right, fitness yeah. coach. I'm sorry, sorry. You forgot yes. all about Mr. Motorator. I know you are. What are. happened to Paul Strygen? He's gone back to his club he job hasn't got, too long. Yeah, he's gone back to his club job in Toulon. He failed to show up for Wales' summer tour of uh, New Zealand because he was with Toulon. Uh, Toulon stopped him coming over for the Autumn Internationals. So now Wales have appointed Hugh Bennett, the ex worker had a brilliant World Cup playing 2011 as their interim head of uh, uh, fitness uh, so that's a little promotion for him and they brought in Alex uh, Lawson who was the ex-Newport uh, Swansea, uh, Swansea uh, outside half our fullback who's worked on fitness at the Ospreys and the Dragons and out in uh, Japan as, a, as an assistant up until the end of the uh, uh, summer tour the point with Stridgen is it was a shocking appointment in the first place it is a strange because they had a bloke who was only coming uh, on a tournament-by-tournament basis with Wales. He's at Toulon, who's got one of the most notorious, controversial and colourful owners in the world. And it was obvious that Bougeral was going to throw his toys out the pram at some stage and stop Paul Stridgen coming with uh, with Wales. So, you know, OK, maybe it would have been all right just to have him for the World Cup because of when the Adam Beard left to go to American football. But that should have been it. Should have been someone else. They should have appointed someone permanently after the World and Cup. One wonders whether the WRU stopping Alec and Sean Edwards going to Toulon 
would have had a bearing on it as well because they probably wouldn't have been too keen on that happening, would they? Mm. No, no. It is a straight. So, what do you make of it though? Because it, he's obviously well thought of, Stridge, and he's been with England, the Lions, and Toulon, obviously. But, like Andy says, to have a, a situation where a club is stopping a coach from coming over and working with the players, and I'm not saying this is the <coughs> reason, but Wales obviously faded in all three tests against New Zealand. The final 20 minutes of all three gate well, that, the, the full third test, but the first and second test, with the last 20 minutes, they... Yeah, I, 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 I don't think... Was that Wales down to the absence of Stridgen, though? Well, I don't know. I just, I don't think Wales have been so fit. Uh, and I think they've lost... Uh, I think they've lost um, out on a fitness front since Mr Beard left. Uh, because a lot of what Adam Beard did, he's really massive on a planning and planning long-term. And uh, I think with uh, Stridgen, because he's working with Toulon, it'd be difficult for him to plan long-term long-term goals and getting peaks plays the peak at certain times of the year it is interesting that they're still using the word interim for Hugh Bennett though which does suggest that they probably try and get Stridgen back sometime in the future or, or someone at least Would yeah nice. well is he on trial could be. he's Bennett. on trial I suggest he's on trial isn't he Hugh well, he, he was a great bloke and you know really fit bloke. fit knows his fitness and all what he's got to prove now I guess is that he's um, uh, you know he can do the job on a uh, permanent basis Perhaps the difficulty for Hugh would be a little bit. It's not that long ago he finished playing, and a lot of the players he's coaching on a fitness he's played with, as you know, he's not yet quite perhaps fully detached from him. Uh, sometimes that relationship can work in a positive way, though. Yeah, I guess so as well. You know, you know what it's like. You know, with players, what make them tick? And it's some are fantastic trainers. Some have got to be cajoled. Some have got to be uh, shouted at. Off, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know that's the art, isn't it, of, uh, of coaching, whether it's on the playing front or on the fitness side. Okay, can I move on to the regions now? Yeah, yeah carry on. Let's <laughs> <laughs> start with the Cardiff Blues. Then um, yes. lost thirty-eight-three at Bath. So you were there. Um, it was only ten-three at halftime, and then came <laughs> Mr. Earl. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and obviously there was a yellow card in there as well yeah. for Kirby Mayo at the I, time. To be fair, I mean uh, the incident started at forty-four minutes, but up until then, the, the Bath had been the better team. Um, they you know dominated large chunks of the first half, and I think the you know the ten three was you know it could have been worse. But the Blues, you know, they'd come into it towards the end of the first half. They were putting up a fight against a very decent Bath team, a much bolstered Bath team from the one that had lost quite heavily at the Ans Park. Um, so it was it was a contest. But then there was a yellow card for Kirby Mile, uh, a soft one I thought, followed by the contentious con- uh, red card for jo- for George Earl. And that was it, really, as a contest. I mean, the Blues actually, you know, quite plucky down to 14 men, but, you know, it's hard enough against Bath with, with 15, and um, George Ford was, was a joy to watch, in fairness. And um, Sorry? What did you just say? George <laughs> Ford was a joy to watch? Yes. He might have been in the second half. In the first half, he was poor. His kicking out ran was appalling. George Ford was a joy to watch. You know, his <laughs> his uh, visionary play. And he uh, had you know, one of the funniest tries I've seen for a long time with, with Batty, the, uh, the hooker, intercepting Nicky Robinson 70 metres out and running the whole distance with Nicky Robinson and Ellis Jenkins colliding off the ball. It was Keystone oh. Cobb. And you just knew things had gone a bit awry by that stage. Uh, yeah, so it was a disappointing night for them. Um, but now they've had a, a decent break um, because it was a Thursday night fixture gives them 10 or 11 days ahead of what is now an absolute must-win game for them at home to the Dragons on Boxing Day. Uh, uh, Matt, I, uh, I watched that game at Bath as well. I'm actually going to give the Blues a bit of praise. I don't think that scoreline reflected the, uh, uh, the, the match. Uh, two of the uh, Bath tries, the uh, one you just spoke about, the inception off Nicky Romson, and here's another one when the ball popped out the side of a ruck. We're quite uh, uh, fortunate. 
I, uh, I thought the Blues showed a lot of spirit, and in fairness, they kept going to the end when he could have easily have uh, uh, folded. And they will now themselves be quite significantly bolstered for the game against the Dragons. Um, Sam Warburton is over the back spasm, which forced him off. Um, Christian Dacey. He was quiet, mind at Bath, very quiet. I think, first half. Yeah, he was really, you could see he was you know, struggling to walk from ruck to ruck, such as the back problem he had. And Christian Dacey's back. The two wingers, Alex Cuthbert and Tom James, will be back as well. And perhaps most interestingly of all, uh, we're likely to see the return of Nick Williams. Now, you, you can divide Cardiff Blues' season into two sections. Um, time with Nick Williams and the time without him uh, the first seven games of the season when he was playing they won I think it was five the nine games he has been missing they've only won three without him they've been without their main ball carrier also a big hitter in defence he's been a big loss they'd they'd look to build a lot of their season around him and when he with his absence especially as it coincided with Josh Navidi being out who was the other number eight option they really did struggle with go forward so they will now have Warburton back, they'll have Navidi back, that's stitches to his year at the weekend, and they'll have Nick Williams, Alice Jenkins there as well. Suddenly, that, that's looking a more potent back line, back, to, back three, back of the row of the scrum, and they have now got this crucial ball-carrying option it's, back. This is a massive match for, for both regions, but I would say in particular the Blues, because they, they, their goal is to qualify for next season's uh, Champions Cup. As the table currently stands, it's the uh, top six plus the, uh, an Italian team. And the Blues, at the moment, there's a breakaway group at the front, and the Blues are a bit detached. The rest of the field is uh, detached. I think they're about uh, five points behind Glasgow, who are a six and a really good side. The Blues cannot afford to lose this game. They've got to pick up at least four points on this game, probably a bonus point win, to stay in that end for the top six. Because, as I say, you know, they could, they could, they could lose, uh, you know, the, the elastic... Uh, which is just about holding them to Glasgow could be could be broken. You're heading up to the Dragons, I think. And what's um, what's their shape at the moment? I, we haven't really heard an awful lot about them on the field. Dragons uh, got uh, you know they, they, they Dragons have been playing uh, well at home. In fairness, they've won five in a row in all uh, competitions, but their form away from home has been dismal. You know, as I previously said, and I'm standing by it 100. percent They were diabolical against Leinster, second stroke, thirds. And they were even worse by all accounts, though I didn't see the game at, uh, uh, against a Worcester team, which only had one sort of first-teamer playing away at six ways. But they played Worcester in the uh, return last weekend. Different match. Worcester minded weak in their scrum by playing two different props. Dragons are strengthened theirs by playing two different props. And they did a good number on them. They were uh, helped by uh, Worcester losing their... Uh, a bit feisty, uh, right? A bit feisty. It was, uh, you know, it was an old-style uh, punch-up in it, involving most of the players. You don't see that much no. these days. Uh, Sam Betty... Worcester flanker, this was after quarter an hour. He got sent off, he threw for a couple of uh, couple of telling hooks, actually. <laughs> and uh, so he went, but there was plenty of niggle going on. Dragons were workmanlike uh, and, and winning that match 22-7. They still just about kept them in the end to qualify for the quarterfinals, the European Challenge Cup uh, for the third year in a row. Problem for the Dragons is their way form. They just kept on out to win away. Their last win against the Welsh region on the road was at Cardiff Arms Park, Boxing Day, two years ago. And their last away win in all competitions was, uh, which was actually a marvellous uh, victory at Gloucester in the Challenge Cup quarterfinal last season when they shocked the English rugby establishment. If they are to win at the Arms Park and Boxing Day, who will be the key men for them? Their forwards are going to have to step up, aren't they? Uh, you know, at, at Leinster and at uh, I think you covered their match at the Ospreys. Mm. You know, they were way, when you, on paper you thought they had a good chance that day because the Ospreys were out internationals. Very poor, and they were very poor. They were uh, people. Who's got to stand up. It's like uh, Reinhard Landman. 
Jesse's got a new contract, just signed a new contract, keeping him there till 2019. He's got a lead from the front, their skipper, uh, Lewis Evans. You know, he talks a talk, can he walk a walk, and away matches. Um, so he needs to step up, and then half-backs are going to have to play really well, especially at scrum half. He talked a talk a bit about you the other weekend, didn't he? Yeah, of course he did, yeah. yeah. <laughs> She's entitled to. Got one yeah. question for you. Uh, and why, he got youth people, haven't he, like Tyler Morgan. Why doesn't Cyril Praterius start more Praterius? Because whenever I've seen him play for the Dragons, he's looked the most den- dangerous player. Well, this is, uh, I agree with you 100%. Uh, uh, apparently they think, and I, I understand, it's claimed, that he thinks himself he's better off coming off the bench when the opposition are tired. Uh, you know, there's a, a school of thought as well. He goes off message and uh, doesn't exactly date to the game plan. But of course, if it's on, if he notices a gap and it's only second phase, not eighth phase, he's entitled to run through it, isn't he? Yeah, sure. The encouraging thing to come out of that, there's some, you'll come on to the Osprey Skies game, is that um, they're, they're looking at heading to uh, a sellout, the Arms Park on Boxing Day, uh, 11,000 sellout, I think around about 8,500 tickets sold already. And um, I can't believe they're not playing a match at the Principality Stadium, five and ten on a ticket. And for the uh, game the following day, they sold over 15,000 tickets for Osprey's uh, Scarlets of the Liberty, which will be the biggest crowds at a regional home ground for four years. So those are in, two encouraging bits of news going into the derbies. Indeed. Um, all right, we'll come on to the Scarlets. Can we get us have a prediction there then, Matt? Uh, Blues will win, I'll give them easy. I'll go on, and prediction then. I'll just give mine. Blues will win easy. Yeah, right. go on. Blues by seven or eight points. There you go. Sorry, Dragons fans. Um, we got <laughs> good to give them praise this week, though, because we have we have well. I think I guess we have kind of slaughtered them the last two weeks because they have been poor. But you know, give them credit. Yeah, back. yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, yeah, yeah. And if they could take their their own form, you know, the win against Worcester, wins over Edinburgh, Pro Trial champions uh, Connaught, um, Scarlets and the Anglo Welsh, and a strong breed team. In Europe, if they took that to the Arms Park, they would uh, they would have they would have a decent chance. I just I just yeah. don't think they got the I just don't think they're going to be strong enough up front and uh, and perhaps mentally to uh, withstand uh, uh, the Blues. So I think they've got a lot of players back the, and look pretty potent for this weekend. The one interesting footnote to that is, as much as this is an important game, what is even more important is what the New Year holds for both teams. We're still waiting for some news on what's going to happen in terms of the ownership of the Dragons. We've been waiting a long while now to see if anyone's going to come forward. As it stands, there's nothing on the table that we know about publicly, so that's really up in the air what their future is. And also, crucially, in the new year for Cardiff Blues, um, the hope is that they will get the go-ahead for the ground redevelopment of the Arms Park, which which could transform... Um, the income stream. Yeah, could totally transform it. Um, the hope is that they'll have an EGM of the Athletic Club in early in the new year, which will basically be the final sort of green light for the project. And then you really could see them develop into a major outfit. So crucial, crucial times in the new years for both regions. Okay, let's uh, let's talk about the Scarlet. I did plan to talk about these guys first because it was a hell of a win, but the conversation went elsewhere. Um, 22-21 win over Toulon in the Champions Cup on Sunday. Fantastic. What a victory that is. That was absolutely fantastic, wasn't it? And you know, and they showed so much grit to hold on in the second half and uh, play some good rugby in the first half. I think the you know, Scarlet's uh, still in the hunt for uh, quarter-final place in the Champions Cup. It's going to be very difficult because it looks like Assassins are in control of the uh, group and look almost certain uh, group winners. But the Scarlet's, they might be able to get into the quarter-finals through the back door by getting one of the free runner-up uh, spots, but they're going to have to uh, beat Saracens, the European English Championships, in Lanethy, 
and again go to sales sharks and uh, also win i think they can need it they're going to need nine points they're going to need a win and plus a bonus point win to have a realistic chance of uh, going through but they're still in the end and i don't think we would have expected that perhaps at the start of the no. season you know from that group of death with toulon in it yeah. and you know they give toulon problems over there and they play some nice rugby in the yeah. first half again at home and he's starting to get a good shape on him which but you know Stephen Jones is involved in the coaching there Wayne Pivot you know I quite uh, I like him I think he's a, uh, uh, quite a third of the coach to be honest with you if you said at the start of the campaign the Scarlets will um, beat Sale and they'll also get a home win against one of the other two you just said that's not a bad effort and they've already got those two things yeah. so everything else is now kind of a bonus and I just really hope that they get a bumper crowd for that Saracens game because the Saracens are the best team in Europe you know, the core of the England team is in the Saracens team. And if the Scarlets could back up beating Toulon by beating them, then that would be fantastic. What's the date of that? Saracens, mind, are not a very well-supported team, are they? So they're not likely to bring many. That was one thing. Matt, you were at the game last week. What was the attendance? Just over 8,000, I believe. Yeah, you know. Top of my head. Yeah, on TV, though, it looked a bit disappointing. A lot of empty spaces there, wasn't it? It was, was shut. I mean, okay. People argue there's not that many chimney pots in the Scarlets regional in the Scarlets region, but uh, still disappointing when you got a, ma- a massive European match yeah. against uh, against a star studded uh, too long. I suppose it's the starting point, isn't it? I think it's probably two thousand up on the, what their average has been this season, realistically. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've, we've had this discussion, discussion so many times in the past. I mean, ultimately, I think there's nothing brings people through the door like success. And you would just hope now that the people of that area would respond to a great win over Toulon and turn up for the Saracens game. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, let's talk about the, the performances then. Scott Williams got man of the match and all, a lot of plaudits after the game. Um, but first half, I thought Patchell and Hadley Park were absolutely outstanding. Well, Hadley Park for the whole game, to be honest. But yeah, I Patchell did. first. Well, half. soon, isn't he, Anne? I'd agree. I do think so. <laughs> think so. I'd agree with you on uh, I think Patchell is settling in there. Mm. and he's looking more comfortable each game I thought he played really well uh, first half and Adley Parks he's one of those players a bit like when Tom Shanklin was with Wales he's one of those players who perhaps doesn't get loads of praise but he does the right uh, right things Parks he does the basics very well he's a decent defender he runs straight lines he got an eye for a gap and he's uh, he's an excellent passer of the ball and he's typical New Zealand in a sense you know he doesn't uh, if it's, if someone's in a better position than him you give him the ball rather than uh, try to go for himself I think he's a, uh, he's like a, he's glue he's a glue in a Scarlet's uh, midfield, I, 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 midfield I, thought pa- I thought Parks was a man on a mission Marnono was not going to get through him he, I mean yeah. he put some of the defensive work he put yeah. in I thought he was excellent and I found it a fascinating match because in the first half the Scarlet's clearly set out to try and run around the two long big boys and they did that they successfully. Did, yeah. Then in the second half, the brutes of the Toulon party, the likes of God, God's, uh, and then you had a sec- centre partnership of Nono and Bastero, just absolute brutish men. And they just kept coming in wave after wave against the Scarlets. And I must admit, when Halfpenny lined up that penultimate kick, we should have won the game. I, I, I would have put the keys to my house on him getting it. But even the great... Even the great goal kickers, you know, yeah, their my, days. Yeah, Mike, Mike Ford, he came up with a good point there, didn't he, afterwards? Because he said the weather conditions, the atmospheric conditions yeah. means the ball didn't travel so far. I would go along with that. I mean, when he was, when I, when he was kicking it, the noise that he was making was totally different mm. to what you've seen over throughout November in the Millennium Stadium, uh, sorry, Principality Stadium. And um, 
But again, like Mike Ford said, it's the same for both kickers, and Patchell yeah. didn't miss a kick. I, I thought watching it, yeah, yeah, Patchell kicked really well. I thought uh, watching Halfpenny there, I thought because he knew he was at the limit, there was range in those conditions, he actually tried to kick the ball harder than he normally does. Well, the does. last one in particular, yeah, he didn't strike know. right at well, all. I, I think it's like you said, the last one, he knew he, he'd already missed from mm. nearly the exact spot, mm. and it was a kick to win it, so he just let his technique go out the window and tried mm. to hit it as hard as he could. Yeah, and, uh, and, and didn't the outside half miss a drop goal as well? Yeah, he did. Which yeah. was in a lot well, easier that, position, he, actually. He, Oh, he, was mild. he was still yeah, about no, 45 metres out. I'll tell you what I think is the interesting thing now, going away from Europe into this derby, is if you look at the Scarlets and the Ospreys, they've had very different couple of weeks, haven't they? The Scarlets yeah. have had two absolute high-octane yeah. games against Toulon, not far short of international rugby, you know, really kind of physically brutal games, and they've come out with a win, massive confidence boost for them. They might be battered up. They might be battered, so that's the possible negative is the battering. The huge positive is mm. the level they've been playing yeah. at. You compare that with the Ospreys, who've had two great wins against Grenoble. But let's be fair, how switched on have Grenoble been for these well, two contests? Grenoble threw the towel in before the matches. You can only beat what's in front of you, but my, I, my question would be, would the higher level the Scarlets have been playing at in Europe in terms of the intensity of the contest maybe work in their favour now when it comes to the Ospreys game? It's, it's a fascinating one yeah, for me. It, is, it should yeah. be a great game. And we it? can't... Uh, we can't Talk about the Scarlets without mentioning the front five as well. I thought they were outstanding. You had Burnham Ball in the second row, and you had Rob Evans who got rid of Chilla Chava within half hour. He was an absolute menace at the scrum. You got Ken Owens doing what he does, and Samson Lee as well in the scrums. That's and Rob, Rob Evans has returned to form as well, didn't he? I would say on that form, Jake Ball's got to be pushing for a starting spot in the Six Nations. You know, you got um, Bradley Davis got injury issues, Charteris there as well. I thought Jake Ball was immense. Well, well, immense. well when Jake Ball is uh, is fully fit and he does have a lot of injuries because he's so physical, Jake Ball is actually probably the best ball carrying um, uh, uh, Welsh lock. You know he's got the most power, and he hurts opponents, doesn't he? He's such a, a big guy. I think you've hit, uh, Rob Evans going to be a big, huge key in this one uh, because the Ospreys have suffered a massive blow. With Dimitri Arip, who's been brilliant for them, he's out. So at uh, props, so I think the Scarlets could well target the Ospreys scrum. Who, who do you think will play one for the Six Nations? It will be Rob Evans or Nicky Smith. Well, Nicky Smith, I thought had a great order, um, but but Rob Evans has played more for Wales in the past and started. You know these derby matches. Could uh, yeah, trials, aren't they? Right. Could yeah. decide it. Yeah. I think that position in particular Sa- is going to be yeah. decided in the next. Sa- same six at, weeks. Same at Oka as well. We're always up against Scott Baldwin. Yeah, no, it's going to be a spicy one. That yeah. uh, we'll come on to it a bit in a bit more detail uh, in a minute. Um, Ospreys winning against Grenoble, as we mentioned, seventy-one-three. It's kind of what we expected from Grenoble. The Ospreys rested a few players, but didn't make a bit of difference, did it? No, no, it's all because Grenoble have just been an absolute disgrace, totally disinterested in the uh, tournament as far as I'm concerned, they should be kicked out of it, you know. Is that damaging to the tournament side when you've got teams behaving? Well, behaving it, was, it, it was interesting because Northampton faced, people were talking about them possibly facing a sanction for the team that they picked to go to Dublin with to play Leinster because they left three or four people out with a view on the fact that they were probably out of the competition already and big lean matches to come. Um, as it turned out, they're not going to be sanctioned. Now, it's a difficult one because if EPCR, or is it ECPR? I don't remember. ODRC, as it is now, if they approve your European squad, then in theory, you're entitled to pick anyone from that squad. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's what Grenoble have done. That's what other teams have done. Um, now, it's difficult then because what you then would be punishing them on is their attitude and how do you prove attitude it was easy in the, back in the day when the Argent guy ran in the wrong direction <laughs> <that time. laughs> back, in the, back in the halcyon days of French club um, 
I think they've got a, their coach, of course, is Bernard Jackman, isn't he? Who's, who's very much potentially in the line for the Connaught job. And again, you can see from their perspective, there's, no, there's very little to be gained in the Challenge Cup. And like last year, there's not even automatic qualification for the Champions Cup for the winners. So, you know, before the uh, competition organisers point the fingers, they maybe ought to be looking at the way they've structured the Challenge Cup and whether they themselves are giving it enough yeah, importance. The, the only incentive is winning silverware, isn't it? Because it's not, it's nothing, it's not like you winning the Champions Cup and we know, you know, in France, some of the, some of these clubs are involved in the uh, relegation battle, so obviously they put in their, uh, everything into the into that. Uh, I wonder myself, maybe the Challenge Cup should be uh, scrapped completely. Champions Cup should be played in uh, one block, and if there was two Welsh teams in it, then do this well? Do the uh, players from the two regions are missed out? Do they get drafted into those teams to the Champions Cup? <laughs> That's a thought. It'll get people going. We <laughs> <laughs> will. It'll take some organising that as well. Um, but yeah, that said, Ospreys are flying in general at the moment, and that's just good for Welsh rugby. Isn't it? it is, and it, if you look at the Ospreys now, they've got a few headaches selection-wise because they've got not too many injuries. They've had a couple of wing injuries, but most people have had Bradley Davis is out as well. But they've got a lot of options there. Great from my point of view, I think, to see Sam Hunderl back firing again. Mm. I think him and Ali Cracknell, you know, two real, real talents. Is, uh, you know, they've got big decisions to make in that selection for the weekend. Um, well, we've got a decision to make at 10. Again, we come back to that old one. Wills yeah. have been through it. Who, who, who would you pick, And Sam Davis or Dan Bigger? Oh, that's a good one, isn't it? Uh, I think I would go be... Um I think oh I think I would go Sam da- I think I would go Sam Davis for this one because I think the key to beat it for the Ospreys beating the Scarlets is actually throw the ball around a bit and use the likes of uh, uh, Keelan Giles, uh, Dan Evans to have a go at the uh, at the Scarlets. I got a feeling the Scarlets might do a number on them uh, at the at the scrum if they get involved in that uh, sort of battle. Certainly is a, a massive decision. But you know Dan Bigger, I must say. Dan Bigger's a brilliant competitor, isn't he? Mm. And he always uh, gives it all. So uh, it's a real tough one for Tandy, this uh, Steve Tandy. Okay, yeah, we've touched on the Blues Dragons. So let's focus a bit more on the Osprey Scarlets derby now. Um, just before we finish, uh, the Scarlets can overtake the Ospreys in the league here, which adds obviously extra significance. Um, promises to be a Christmas cracker. Yes. I think it's fair to say both teams are going to be right up for this. I'm expecting some niggles, some feistiness, some, uh, some, uh, a couple of scores perhaps to be uh, uh, settled. It's going to be a very t- tough one to call. You gotta get, you know, you've got to stay say straight away now, West is best because these are the two best Welsh regions. And uh, really, they both the credit to themselves. Uh, Scarlet's on limited, really limited resources, while the Ospreys uh, have, to, have rebuilt their team. Uh, the originals, the stars, you know, the Wales stars won all those titles and all. They're all gone now, and they've uh, uh, got they've signed players. Um, uh, value for money, foreigners. Uh, they've got some really good deals. Uh, they've found about those players, identified them, uh, and then you still got uh, Alan Wynne Jones, the likes of Alan Wynne Jones, and bigger there. And plus, you've got a second wave of young Ospreys coming through now, like Sam Davis, mm. like Keelan Giles, and some, that region produces some outstanding rugby players. Yeah, I mean, the, the encouraging thing for me going into the game is that both teams are in the top four of the Pro 12, you know, and if you consider there's been two or three seasons over the last couple of years where we've not had a representative in the end of the season playoffs, we've got two teams there really going strong, pushing hard. And this is probably the the most exciting regional game of the season yeah, so far. Uh, you know, yeah, I think it is fair to say as well. I think that both these teams could finish in the top four, and and, and both of them are capable of winning the title. Yeah. Yeah. All right, them. then let's uh, push you for some predictions, then, chaps, before we finish. Scarlets. 
I'll go first and all he thinks. I think the Ospreys will win. I think home advantage will be important. I think it'll be a one score game, four or five point victory to the Ospreys. But just to be different, <laughs> just to be different, I'm going to go for the uh, I'm going to go for the uh, Scarlets. But I will I will stress this is a really difficult one uh, to call. But I'm going to pick the uh, Scarlets to win by three or four points, and uh, uh, maybe Patchell winning it with a penalty or something. All right then, thanks for joining us, chaps, and thanks to you guys for listening at home. Um, as always, we'll be bringing you the build-up to the Christmas derbies on Wales Online all the live updates and the fallout from that. Um, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. We're on iTunes. Just search for uh, Welsh Rugby Podcast. Uh, subscribe, like, review, give us all the comments, you know, all that fun stuff. Um, and stay tuned to Wales Online for all the latest rugby news. And have a happy Christmas. <laughs>